In today's video, we're going to be talking to Monique Renee. Monique Renee is a pet and people photographer from Fort Collins, Colorado. And Monique has made a couple of online courses. And she's learned a lot of lessons making these online courses. And I thought I'd interview her and share her experiences with you. So stay tuned. I've had the privilege to know Monique Renee for about four years now, and she loves working with pets and people, and she's just a really great person. So when she asked me to help her out with one of her courses, I was more than ecstatic. Monique is a very compassionate and caring person, but she's also really funny. So we're going to start this interview out by asking her a few really quick, funny questions. And I gave her the questions in advance, so let's see how she did. But first, four quick questions to help you get to know Monique better. Monique, are you a coffee or a tea person? Ooh, Diana, as of about 10 years ago, I'm a full-on coffee person with a twist. I do have chai that I put in my coffee. So it's kind of coffee and tea mixed together. But I fall asleep at night dreaming of the coffee I'm going to have the next day. <laughs> so definitely coffee person. Oh, that sounds so awesome. I, I love my morning coffee too. So what was your favorite subject in school? Oh, gosh, now you're making me think back in time. Uh, I know I obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but I really liked art. Uh, so there are all different types of art classes and I really actually liked English too. Maybe not reading the English books and making reports, but learning how to write better. So that type of an English class. Wow, that's really interesting. English was definitely not my top subject, but I was an art major in college, so I, oh, I love that. Nice. And what was the last book you read? All right, so I have, I'm going to answer with the last book I finished reading. Because I'm one of those people who I'm reading several books at one time. Uh, but the last book I absolutely devoured was Jesse Cole's Find Your Yellow Tux. He owns the Savannah Bananas baseball team, but he wrote this amazing business book. I loved it so much I even made a YouTube video about it. <laughs> Just his whole business done differently really struck a chord with me. And so that's the last book I read was Find Your Yellow Tux. Love it. I actually watched that video on your YouTube channel. That was really interesting. Mm. I'm definitely interested in checking out that book. Yeah, it's a good one. If time travel was possible just to be an observer, when would you want to travel to? Oh my gosh, I have spent all morning thinking about this question. I didn't want to make it too big and heady and, or political or super personal. But one of the things that I came up with was I really love to watch comedy movies and I have some favorites. And now that I'm getting more into videography, I would just love to be a fly on the wall to some of my favorite comedy movies as they're being filmed, like Princess Bride. I think that would be hysterical to go back in time and just watch how they did that movie, kind of behind the scenes, if they were able to improv any of it. I think that would be super fascinating. Yeah, that one is a good movie. I, I, I love that Princess Bride movie. It's inconceivable. <laughs> That's right. Inconceivable. <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> I know. I love it. I just really love it. That's, that's a classic. I have to pull that out and watch it occasionally just to give myself a little bump of happiness. Oh, me too, for sure. So let's get started. Tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Oh, goodness. Uh, so on the personal side, I live in the beautiful, sunny state of Colorado, and I've been here about seven years. Before that, I lived in the upper left, as they call it, in the Pacific Northwest for over 40 years. That's where I raised all of my five children, and I managed a veterinary practice there. And I was a portrait photographer on the side. So a lot of different things going on there. As a photographer, now I own Silverpaw Studio, Pet and People Photography, and I'm doing photography and videography. If you rewind about 10 years, I was photographing mostly people because I had so many kids in high school 
I would photograph them for the yearbook and their friends and for modeling, for stock. Did a lot of people photography. And I also drug my camera over to the vet hospital I managed. So I was always taking pictures of them there too. And so I was doing all these things at once. And then when I moved to Colorado, I thought, now what am I going to do now that I'm all grown up? <laughs> uh, so I thought of all the different things I can do. And within a few weeks, we'd only had one kid left at home at that point. So I was pretty bored. Uh, I was working at my new vet hospital in Colorado. My kids were like, really, mom? <laughs> so I started working at the vet hospital. And I really love that. It's kind of a, almost an easy job for me because I've done it for a really long time. I'm really comfortable with the front office. I worked in the front office. And I just kept hearing like, Monique, you got to come back to photography. And so a couple of years into that, I made the jump and retired uh, from the veterinary world and started my studio. But I started a people photography studio. And as I started to market this, and as I started to go to networking meetings, I realized there's a lot of people photographers. How am I going to set myself apart? Well, at this point, really the only people I knew in Colorado were animal people. So working at the vet office, I knew all the specialty practices, the emergency practices, any auxiliary, anything like PT for pets, all kinds of different pet boutiques. Like that's the only people I knew besides my small family here. So I decided to open a second studio and that was going to be for pets. And this one was going to be the one that fed my people photography business. But that didn't happen. <laughs> All I was getting was pet photography and I would convince them to also include their family because I really love photographing people too. And so after about a year or two of running both of those kind of side-by-side -side businesses, which means all the websites double the work, all the Facebook double the work. Uh, so I just let go of the people photography and did it just with Silverpaw Studio, which is pets and people. And I'm so loving that. I started right away photographing adoptable pets at the local rescues. And I've loved doing that as a volunteer basis. And it's just, it's going pretty well. I really, really love it. All of my years of photographing people and working with animals at the, show, uh, the veterinary offices, kind of all combined. And when I opened Silverpaw Studio and I told people, they're like, well, uh, duh, <laughs> we could see that coming. That was my long answer, kind of mixed together me and my business. Well, it sounds like an amazing journey. And that is a beautiful part of the country up there. I, I love that you took, you took what interested you and you kind of combined your, your knowledge with what you were good at. You wanted to do photography, but you were also already working with animals and combining those two is, is very awesome. You know, one of the common questions I get, oh, so you're a photographer. Do you photograph weddings? Like, no, no, I do not. <laughs> that is a whole different, let's say animal, ha ha. Uh, and it's just a different skill set. It's a different personality. You have to be go, go, go for about 12 hours a day with 200 people. And I just really prefer to take a family with their pets and their kids and go like to their property or a natural area here in beautiful state of Colorado and spend an hour or so with them, really getting to know them and getting all these expressions and just that intimate time with them. So that's kind of what I have funneled everything into is those uh, type of sessions. That sounds really amazing. And I love that you want to build such strong relationships with your clients mm. that do you have a lot of repeat business off of that? Surprisingly, yes. In the pet photography industry, there's a long, usually a pretty long gap between when you photograph people's pets because they just don't change as much as human children. Uh, so often, you know, maybe it's a one-time deal, but I actually have quite a few clients that have me come back. Maybe they've added an animal uh, maybe they've added a human child. <laughs> and so we have to add the children in there, which I just love. Uh, so I do have some repeats. That's amazing. Well, let's kind of move on to a different gear and let's talk about what inspired you to create an online course with the business that you're in. So I started crafting an online course about three and a half years ago, my very first one. I do lots and lots of work for the local animal rescues, 
And I try to train them and help them for their volunteers, their fosters. I've done some speaking around the country and a lot of people need help with their photos of adoptable animals. So I thought the question I got a lot was, how do you photograph cats? And I thought, you know what? I could probably make a video about that. And at the time I was doing lots of live streaming. So I felt fairly comfortable in front of the camera on an off the cuff type of way. And so my first course about three years ago, I created was Cat Photography 101. That's awesome. I I love the idea of taking pictures of little kitties. Tell me about a little bit about all the different courses that you have made. So my first course was the Cat Photography 101. And that course, I had, (laughs) I really knew nothing about creating courses. I just knew I wanted to help people and maybe make a little bit of residual income, diversify my revenue streams, uh, which is pretty popular. A lot of people want to do that, of course. So I just, I have a friend who's a videographer and I thought, I can do this. I've done lots of live streaming. I've given this class in person, so it shouldn't be that difficult. (laughs) Um, But it ended up taking several months because I did use a friend to do the video and he was busy doing his other things. So he just worked me in between the other things he was doing. So that took extra time. He wanted me to learn the editing piece, which I was very frustrated with at the time, but now I'm glad I did learn some video editing. There were so many things I didn't know about making a video-based online course. Uh, He would ask me things like, well, do you want lower thirds? And I was like, what's a lower third? (laughs) So I was so big of a learning curve on that. And then we wanted to show actually photographing these kitties. So I had to find models and locations. Uh, We really went over the top, I feel like, with my very first course, but I didn't know. I just really wanted to put this massive value out there. So we found models that we could photograph with a regular DSLR camera, and I wanted to add in phone photography, different types of lighting. We talked about that different types of backgrounds, oh, behavior of cats. I really crammed a lot into that first course. That's actually very common. A lot of people jump into an online course and they have no idea of the the scope of the work, number one. They just want to pour everything into it. And a lot of people actually find that they get stuck right there. They try to throw everything in and it's just so big. And it actually makes it a little harder to sell because you don't have just a little step or another little step. It can be a bit overwhelming to the clients too. So as well as being overwhelming to the person creating the course. So I can see why it, it took you quite a while to make that first course. Oh my goodness. That is so true. Looking back on it now, I probably should have made that into two or three courses maybe delved a little into more deep into some of them, like the lighting itself could have been an entire course. And you're right, because it's probably overwhelming, even though it ended up being maybe an hour and a half long with some PDFs, it would be very overwhelming. And so, you know, it's been online on a couple different platforms for a while. And what I also learned about that was, even though I was thought I was pretty good on live streaming, when you sit down with a script, it is much harder to record. <laughs> so I had a clipboard near the camera with some bullet points and I practiced and practiced and practiced, but still it was tough. I did not have like a teleprompter or anything like that. So that was a big learning moment too. I thought, gosh, I feel pretty good in front of a camera, but dang, this is harder than I thought. Luckily, he was there taking care of all the technical pieces, the camera, the lighting, the audio of all those pieces. Uh, So I didn't have to learn that on that particular course, but I think that was a good course anyway. I mean, it's still out there. People could still go purchase Cat Photography 101. I think it's the only one available on some of those platforms, but I also didn't research a lot of it. I just knew that in person and at the conferences I talked at, people said they would like it. You know, kind of lesson learned on that one. That's common in business in general. You have a great idea and you just know everybody's going to love it, but you don't do the market research behind it. Also, doing the marketing, once you figure out people want it, you've got to do the marketing to let them know it's there, which can be really Mm -hmm. tricky. 
Oh my goodness. And that's probably something I learned with my second course. <laughs> so I decided last winter that all of a sudden I thought, I'm going to make another course right now. <laughs> and I remember your reaction because uh, you were the, the editor for that and super helpful was, really, you think you're going to do that in a week? So, <laughs> But I just had this thing in mind that I had this space of time, that I had a space available, and I was going to create this course. And I didn't do a lot of research on that either. It was, again, a course I'd given in local workshops and to people in person and done a little bit on live streaming. And I thought, okay, I know this material. This will be a really short course because I thought I'd learned from the last course that was way too much information. Why don't I do a much more simplified course that is easily digestible by the people that might want to purchase it? And so I decided I'm going to make a course based on this class I'd given on cell phone photography for pet lovers. Again, I realized, okay, I could just talk a lot when I'm in live stream and in the audience. But once I got in front of the camera, again, I was like, okay, I have to memorize these lines and then say it. And I did all the tech work myself, which I hadn't done much of before. But luckily, I hired you to fix it up <laughs> for me later, the audio and the video. Uh, so I, I did record that one. One of the things I learned was when I'm teaching in person, there is the feedback and the back and forth from the audience, whether it's live streaming online or in person. And so I find that even though I can craft a workshop, I do build in like 15 minutes at least for Q&A. And you don't have that when you're creating a pre-recorded course. So all of those like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that in a live class, you can't forget any of that when you're building your pre-recorded course. So I learned that pretty fast with this one. Like I thought I had all the content and then, oh no, I have to set up the studio one more time for this. And the difference is you need to have like an intro and uh, some kind of a hook video so people can get an idea really quickly what this course is going to be about. And I remember having to set up the entire studio again in this little space that I have and hurry up and record this intro. So I learned a lot on that course. One thing I did do a little bit, a lot more of actually, is marketing it afterwards. I have a weekly email list that I send it to. You know, I talk about it on my live streams. I, you know, I'm making this year, I'm doing a lot more with YouTube. So I'm mentioning it now, putting it in description. So I'm doing a lot more with the marketing on this video and it has sold better. The cell phone photography for Pell Evers course is going better based on some of the things I learned in my last course. So what platforms did you end up choosing to host your online courses? This was kind of a struggle because I don't have a huge email list. It's under a thousand. And so I uh, had a conversation with you and you talked me through and you actually have a lot of great YouTube videos that I've used as resources since then too. And at my stage where I'm at kind of dabbling in this a little bit is I just chose to use Udemy and Skillshare. And I don't get a, a high rate of return on that, but they do all the marketing for me. They gather all of the fees and anything like the payments. If someone wants a return, they'll do that. They host everything. I don't have to pay extra for any of those things, but they do take a cut. Uh, but at the time I thought, okay, I'm willing to do that because I've not, I'm not real experienced in courses, number one. And number two, I don't have a very big audience. To that's one of the things I learned with my cat photography course is I had put it on my own platform for a little while and it was just so difficult to market it. I didn't have as big an audience for that as I thought I needed. So putting it on those other, I don't even remember what what the categories of those are, but with Udemy and Skillshare, they do a lot of that marketing. Uh, so that's where I've chosen to put those courses. Well, that is a good place to, to start out, especially if you're bootstrapping and you don't have the time to do the in-depth marketing and stuff. But I have done many videos stating also there are some downsides to it. And I, I'm glad you watched my videos and kind of got a little bit of help out of that. Yeah. What's nice about making courses, online courses now, is there are so many platforms you can choose from. 
which I really appreciate. All these different companies at whatever price point, audience size, and how much you want to make and earn. Some people have courses that are hours and hours long, master classes, or very encompassing, like this is everything you need to know about using this camera, something like that. Uh, so there are so many great platforms. Probably at some point, I'll choose to step up a little bit. But right now, with all the things that I do in my studio and wanting my courses to be more of a side income, I'm just, I know I'm not going to commit to doing all the building of the course and the marketing and everything that goes with that. Uh, so I've just chosen to take that little less income at this point to use this as a more of a learning platform. Another thing that I have learned about making these online courses is that it's a, it's a different format than making, say, a YouTube video or a live stream. And it's really, think of a classroom with a teacher. You're really just trying to get the education to them so it doesn't need all the bells and whistles. I found with my first course, I did lots of like B-roll supportive video where if I talked about this type of background, I went to the store and had video overlay of that. And I do, you just don't need that in a course. I don't need to go over the top with lots and lots of bells and whistles in the actual video content. Uh, so that's something uh, I think I really found. I did have some in my second course, but it was very specific to that course and it helped really illustrate the lesson I was trying to teach. It wasn't to just be blingy like you have to be on YouTube. YouTube is more like really getting the attention out of these millions of videos that are posted every second there. Uh, so you need a lot of that but you don't need that in your actual course. So that's something I've definitely learned. Uh, and I'm trying to like keep in my lane and just for my next course, what do I just need for this course? Because people have already bought it, they're in, just give them the content. Right, and that's a good lesson to learn. What would you say would be the biggest lesson that you learned from your first online course? Gosh, the biggest lesson I probably learned from my very first online course was to probably not worry so much about the bells and whistles and to get help. So having that videographer on that first course, I didn't have to learn everything. And then maybe the, even the bigger one, probably actually the biggest lesson I learned was that your first course is going to suck. <laughs> it is just going to. So know that you're going to just create more videos later. And this is something you're going to, learn from, you're going to do all the steps and make it as best as you can, but there will be things you look back on a year from now then and go, ooh, uh, okay, I should have done this differently and that differently like we're talking about today. But if someone really wants to make a course, just make one. Think of the one thing that people say that you're good at all the time and you just maybe take for granted. That's something people want to learn about, like the cell phone photography course, and just make it. And it's probably going to suck when you look back on an ear, but most things that people create, they do think that way about. Don't let that be a stopping point for you. Put out what you can, make it as best as you can, and know that you're probably going to make another one later. And if it's really not performing how you want, you can just go take it off those sites. You can backtrack, but really know that your first one's not going to be absolutely perfect and polished, and you're going to learn something from it, and later on, you'll make better videos and more better courses. What would you say the biggest lesson is that you learned when making your most recent online course? <laughs> my biggest lesson from my most recent course, which I worked on with you extensively, was be more organized. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because if you are recording all these clips, it's going to come into the computer as 0001, 0002. Once you accumulate all these video pieces, audio pieces, PDFs, graphics, if they're not organized, you're going to drive yourself or your editor crazy. <laughs> Even though I had a really nice outline for the script and the content, the actual pieces I made could have been a lot more organized. As soon as I uploaded to my computer, I should have renamed them and maybe rename them for each module. Like this is module one, lesson one, and then said what the lesson was and organize those a lot better because the editing goes so much faster because the video editing and audio editing and adding all those pieces is gonna take at least if not longer than the actual recording of them. 
So that's definitely something I learned from my most recent course that I will be using going forward. That's one thing that that is a very big deal for me. As I progressed through my career, going from a VA to a video editor to an online course specialist, organization is one of the most important things, especially when it comes to doing the video editing. If they're not named properly, if they're not filed properly, it can come into a mess on the other side. And that that can be very hard and waste a lot of time. And when you're paying a video editor, you don't want to be wasting time. You want to get it over to them in a simple, easy to understand way so that they can work it back. Another thing I learned on my most recent course that I guess I could have applied to my very first course too, along the same lines of being organized, is this is a course. And so you have to think more like a teacher and teachers like to give materials like assignments and PDFs and some, some other visual aids. I think that I probably could have spent a lot more time on some PDFs, maybe some workbooks, and done a little bit more research on each of the sites that I was going to put my course. So overall, maybe some more PDFs. And it could just be, this is the gear that I used. Here's a list of where you get them. It could be that simple, or it could be, here's the diagram that you can print out for lighting on my cat photography one. I talk about it in the video, but it would be nice to have a diagram to go along with that. So more homework for the student, something for them to actually do. I definitely think I could have done more with that in the organizational phase with more handouts, more assignments. And if I would have looked into the platforms more, some of those are built more towards that as well. So some platforms, they want to have a lot more homework and interaction with your students. They want to know that you're saying, okay, now we're done with this part of the course. Here's an assignment. Go try it. And then let the teacher know how it went. And each module can have that. Some sites will have that and some will have, uh, you know, maybe there's a survey at the end. What did you think of this thing or what did you learn from it? There's way more supporting material that I could have put in some of those courses to make them a little more robust so people didn't just breeze through the video content and then go on to the next course. They really need something to do to apply all of the skills that I've just told them. I think that would have been a lot more beneficial. Some of those sites I can go back and add that material in, which is really nice. And then those students will get an email saying, hey, there's new stuff added to the course you've already bought. Uh, so I could go back and add some of those materials. But I think that would be a lot more benefit to the attendees, the students, if I add more of that into my courses. I think that's a really good idea. I actually did a video on course extras. And there are so many different ways that you can add value to your students during your course process. And one of the things that I really like is being able to go back and add stuff. That's kind of an important point you touched on. If you're doing your first course and you don't feel it's right, you can go back in and change it. You can go back in and add stuff. Different platforms will allow you to completely rearrange it. So if your first course that you don't like is not so great, you can go back and revamp it at a later time. Or if information changes, you can go back and redo that. And I love the fact that you might even do that on purpose when you launch your next course so that you actually can advertise in that course to those students who have taken that course that you have another course out. Ooh, that's a really good point. That's one of the things I've thought of, like with my cell phone photography for pet lovers, I can always do part two. Uh, so I could add to that particular course or I can make a follow-up course that if I come up with lots of things that, oh, I wish I would have added this to the course. I wish I'd have added this lesson to the course or gone more in depth on this. I could actually make a second or a third one on that. And that's all things that are kind of hard to think of at the time. I think I'm putting all the information in there, but later I might think, oh, all these new things. Or if technology changes and now maybe like my cell phone class, there's all these other things that are available on phones, different apps for cameras or editing or 
platforms you can share them on, that would actually be a pretty cool video too after maybe a year and technology has changed enough. Uh, so that's, that would be kind of a fun thing to do too and thinking ahead. But it is nice that mo- a lot of those platforms, you can go append them if you want as well. Uh, so I wish I would have done that more maybe in my first two courses. If someone was thinking about making an online course today, but they were still sitting on the fence, what would you say to them? Just make one. (laughs) If that's something you think you want to do, put it on your list, put yourself a date. And I would say something that you know a lot about and that you kind of take for granted. Like I was saying earlier, something that you think might be a small subject, but people ask you about it over and over again. It could be about organizing. It could be about, like for me, it's just the cell phone photography. The things that you just do on autopilot that people are like, wow, that's amazing. Just create your first course. If you're on the fence at all, you can do lower, lower tech if you want. Make sure the audio's spot on because so many people listen and they need to watch your talking head talk about this class. Uh, so make sure your audio is really good. But just put it on your, your goal list for the next year or six months that you're going to create a course and then work backwards from there. Make an outline. Think of your PDFs and your supporting things and do all, think of all the things in a backwards order and just make one. Because once you make one, you're going to learn a lot more. There's only so much preparing that you can do. You can watch all the YouTube videos. You can listen to all podcasts like this. Uh, you can do all those things. But you have to take the next step and just create one. And again, you could delete it or add to it later. But if you really think this is something you want to do, just make one. That's probably my biggest piece of advice. As far as equipment goes, what do you recommend for somebody just starting out? Well, the good thing about some of these online courses is it's, in a way, kind of a boring type of video. (laughs) If you're used to watching Hollywood blockbusters, it's not the zippy type of video. It's the teacher in the front of the classroom. So it can be fairly basic. Although it's probably not the best video quality, if you're in a room where you can control the lighting, uh, you can use a higher end phone. So a lot of them even record 4K now. I have a couple of YouTube videos that I've done simply on my iPhone because it has 4K capabilities. Put it on a little tripod. Those are really inexpensive. You can even get them at local stores now. Uh, but invest in a microphone of some kind. I have a tiny microphone that I can hook up to my regular camera or my phone. It has an adapter that's the kind that you clip on your shirt. And it has a cord, but that's okay. Uh, There's all kinds of different microphones out there. Be sure to get a microphone of some kind. You can get them as cheap as $25 for a little lav mic uh, or any kind of microphone. Rent one if you want to. Hire someone to help you, but make sure that audio is awesome and you don't have to spend a bunch of money on that. Uh, One thing from a photographer point of view is lighting. If you are going to be in an interior space and you're relying on natural light, that will change dramatically throughout the day. So keep that in mind. If you're going to just record one hour segments at a time, make it the exact same time every day so the lighting is the same or invest in some inexpensive lights so so your lighting is the same and it's very consistent because again, this isn't a Hollywood movie. This is a class. People want to see you clearly. They want to hear you clearly. So you want to be sure those technical pieces uh, are there, but they don't have to be expensive. Again, you can use just natural window light, uh, but just know that it's going to change a lot through the day. So I would not recommend scheduling a six hour video session (laughs) just using natural light. It will just, it'll change a lot. And then get that microphone. Those are really the two big things. Put your camera, whatever it is, on a stand so it's nice and stable, whether it's your phone or like I have a nice Sony camera because I'm a photographer, so I have the nice gear. Then the other way you can go is hire someone. So if you think that you're going to have a big draw for your course and be able to recoup that money, I mean, that's how I think of it, is you can hire someone or you could barter with someone who already has the equipment and the time to help you with that, like I did for my very first course. Uh, That friend was very generous with his time and his equipment and his knowledge. You could maybe barter time for them 
And so those are the ways that I think are great to acquire the equipment <laughs> for these types of courses, but you can make it really, really simple if you want. Another aspect of the equipment is the actual pieces of equipment that you're recording your course on. So whether it be an SD card, hard drives, try to check your recording as you go. So if you have your camera and your microphone set up, have some headphones on set as well, record a piece and then listen back to it. Is it recording? Is the SD card working? If you have a camera with two card slots, use both of them or record to an external hard drive, especially if you're hiring someone or you have a friend, they might even have those extra hard drives. Ask them about that. Asset management is very important. Check your recording often for the sound and anything, any other technical aspects just to make sure it's actually recorded. And then once you put it onto your computer, have a backup system there, whether that's local or in the cloud. Video does take a long time to back up to the cloud but it's worth it. <laughs> uh, so I have like a RAID drive in my office. Uh, so it's on one hard drive, but it's mirrored on another hard drive. And then if you hire a video editor, they will for that time have a copy of that as well. However you send it to them. Uh, oftentimes you'll put it on a drive and mail it to them. Uh, we were able to upload it to a cloud in small pieces. And so that takes more time, build that into your process but your video editor could potentially have a copy of your recording as well. And again, going back to the organizational, have it all in that one folder being mirrored somewhere to keep it all super organized. Like don't have your PDF that you've created over here in your downloads and then your video file over here in some other crazy folder. Try to keep them all in one place and then have that backed up. Another thing that kind of goes along with that is you could do several takes. So if you have, this is your intro, record that two or three times. Or if this is a piece you think, well, I could have recorded that a little better, just do it again. And then you have some backup recordings as well. So you can record, this is the beauty of these online courses is they're pre-recorded. You can record them several times and it might seem frustrating at the time, but when you're in there editing and looking at the footage or your editor is, and they're like, hmm that word didn't come across very clearly or something glitched or some, something in, that, in your room turned on and made some noise. <laughs> uh, it's nice to have several pieces of recording. One other tech piece that I've learned just recently because of doing more podcasts and audio recordings is when you very first start recording in your space to record nothing for as long as you think you need. Maybe it's a full minute. I've gotten away with doing it for just 10 seconds, but record nothing in that space because you'd be surprised how much nothing gets recorded in the audio. There could be an air conditioner in the background. A truck could go by. All the ambient noise, if you record nothing, then your audio editor can take out any of that noise throughout the entire recording. And that is extremely helpful. Uh, I learned that recently and I've been doing it on every video and audio recording I've done and I have been so thankful I have done it because again, that audio quality is probably number one. You're going to be more nervous about the video, but you should really be putting your effort into that audio <laughs> recording. That's a great point. Audio does make a huge difference because if people cannot hear you, if they can't hear you clearly, if they can't understand you, then there's no reason to even watch the video. Yeah. I do want to go back on one of the things you said. I know I worked with you on the second one, and a lot of people, one of the things that they don't factor in when they're figuring out their launch plan, their timing, and their, their dates, is they don't factor in the time it takes to download, the time it takes to upload, the time it takes to render. A lot of those things that happen in the video editing space, which is more my space, but just getting that content, if you have like two hours of video, that is going to take all of your resources to upload to your video editor. And it's going to take them just as much time to upload it onto whatever platform that you're going to be having it on. So you really need to consider that in your time schedule. And sometimes if you have a lot of information, it's just quicker to send it through the mail. Boy, did I learn that on my second course working with you. 
I had gone into the project thinking this is a short course. The video content fully edited is only going to be about an hour. Uh, and I was going to send over small chunks to you. I've got a direct line to the internet. But even at that, I just did not have a concept of how long it would take for that video content to go into Dropbox fully, like a really long time. And then for you to download it, even though you have a strong internet connection as well, because we're in different states, and how much time that took. So I might spend a few minutes recording a piece in the studio, and then I go make sure everything looks good on my computer, and then I upload it to, say, Dropbox, and then you wait and wait and wait. You go watch a movie, you cook dinner. It really takes a very long time, just like you're saying. And then I would message you and say, okay, it's on Dropbox, and you'd be like, okay, I'll check it tomorrow, and then the next day, I'll let you know I have it. So you are so right about really build in that time because we tend to think of the things that we need to do, not the things that like the internet and the technology needs to do. And it does take time for anyone who's never made a video or a video course, even once all of that happens and you've got everything off to your editor, which could be someone you've hired, you have to build in all this time for the editing itself and what's called rendering. So once that video is created, which takes hours and hours, I would estimate where I'm at right now, if I make a 10-minute YouTube video, it, it, that whole process took me at least eight hours. So then the computer has to do what's called rendering it. It has to put all those pieces together and spit it out in a format that these learning courses can see and hear. And that takes a lot of time. I really don't know the math on this, Diana, but I would say a one-hour course is easily 40 hours of work. Yeah, I actually, because I've done enough courses to know this, I have a basic schedule. If it's an hour worth of raw video and you're making it into a course, that's a month. I need at least a month to launch that. And that gives time for marketing, that gives time for planning, that gives time for taping. That gives time, one hour of video for a month because that's start to finish. And that's if that's the only thing that, you know, you're working on. Now, if you're working with a, a video editor or a freelancer of any type, a lot of times they're going to have more than one client. Mm -hmm. You're not the only client. And so they're not going to be getting up in the morning, grabbing their coffee and running to your video and working to, on it until they put it away at night. True, true, because we didn't even talk about all the time it takes just to craft the whole course and script it and create those PDFs. That's a lot of time. And then on the back end, marketing the whole thing. Well, you should be marketing ahead of time as well, which we'll get into. But all of that, just thinking of the raw, the video itself is at least two weeks between yourself and your editor and all the rest of it. That, and that was something I had zero concept of with my second course because I thought, I'll just get this out really quick. My first one just seemed like it took forever. <laughs> it took like six months. But the second one, I thought, okay, I've done this. I know what I'm doing. But really, really, really factor in the time of your editor and what their time frame is. Talk about that ahead of time. And then all of the other things waiting for computers and internets to work really does take a lot of time. I know you're doing some video editing yourself now because of the fact that you're doing your YouTube videos. And so you've probably discovered the render time. One of the things I do is I don't render at 100% speed. Hmm. I render at only 25% speed. And the reason I do that is because it comes out better quality and is less likely to be corrupt. And I take a lot of pride in having a high quality video format. And so that's something that is more technical on the video editing side that a lot of people don't realize. So when you render something and you're rendering at full speed and you think that takes a lot of time, I'm rendering at 25% speed. So when I'm rendering a 20-minute video, I do go off and I cook dinner and, <laughs> and I wash dishes. And then I come back and I'm going, oh, we're 75% there. And then I go walk my dogs. So it, yeah, there's a lot of things that, you can do to make things better, but you have to have the time to make that better. Well, and hiring an editor, editing yourself, that really takes all the resources of your computer or your editor's computer. So it's not like 
you can start rendering this video and then work on something else on that same computer. It needs all that computing power. When you hire an editor, they are building that into their, their time and estimate too. Or if you're doing it yourself, you really do have to go off and do something else and leave your computer alone. So factoring that into the time it takes to make even a simple course is helpful. And it helps set your expectations, I think. I thought I can have my last course done and out there in like a week at New Year's. That was ridiculous. I know now, looking back on it, um, I maybe can cobble together a YouTube video pretty quickly, but that is not the same. You want some nice content that people want to pay for and uh, get high value out of. Um, I'm going to have to look into my YouTube settings, Diana, because I don't know what I render at, if it's 100% or 25%. But I know if you're talking about just that one piece of the process in the rendering time, factor that in which is great to have you as a resource. Yeah, and the upload time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the upload time. The one thing that I really liked with my last course, because it was at the holidays and I had all these things going on, is I just hired Diana and she even uploaded it to the learning platforms. I don't know if that's something that's in your normal package or if it's extra, but it was very important to me so I can go off and do something else that I had Diana doing the editing and the graphics on the screen and fixing the audio and uploading it to the learning site was really, really valuable to me. Yeah, that's, that, that is one of the things. And that's why I charge as a package deal. Sometimes I'm working hardcore in the editor and I'm sitting there and I'm staring at it and I'm working. But other times I'm either rendering or I'm uploading, both of which takes all my computer power so I can't do anything else but I'm actually not standing there doing anything. That's why I don't charge an hourly rate. That's why I charge a packet rate because I may be off at a networking meeting or something while 20 courses are uploading themselves on Teachable. At the same time, I can't do any actual work with my computer, so it's still, it's still a resource that's, that's being eaten up. But let's get into talking a little bit about marketing. I want to know some of the lessons that you've learned on marketing. Oh, marketing is a little, it's tricky for me. Uh, I thought I was doing a pretty good job marketing in my very first course about the cat photography, but again, I had it on just my own site. And as much as I put it on my newsletters and talked about it in person, it just wasn't getting traction. And so with that one, I've now put it on those other platforms and I've put the cell phone photography one on the other platform so they can do a lot of the marketing. But even at that, I have learned a lot about the marketing of the courses. One big thing I've learned is I didn't pre-market. So the last cell phone photography class, I put it out there so quickly, I didn't spend any time pre-marketing. But there's so much you can do before you even launch the course, which I'm learning on the one that I'm about to make, which we'll talk about in a bit. But marketing is so much more than just online. Like I can't just rely on those platforms to do the marketing for me. As much as I love that part of that and they take their percentage for doing that, they have hundreds and hundreds of other courses. So it's up to me. So I do have a weekly newsletter for my studio and I put my courses at the bottom of every newsletter and I talk about them here and there as the featured article in those. I talk about it on my social media. Probably need to do a better job at that put that out there a little bit more on social media. But my YouTube channel is where I'm really concentrating my marketing efforts right now. And I will make a video that talks a little bit about what one of those courses has. And then in the description, have a link to go purchase the course. And then once I make that video, I have some select Facebook groups I share that in. So either Facebook groups about pet photographers, professional pet photographers, volunteer pet photographers, my own personal page, my business page, different places like that online. And then one of the things I learned from Diana was she has some great videos on marketing too, is I do teach some of these in person. So my cell phone photography for Pet Lovers course started because I taught it in person. And so I've taught it in person since then. And I let everybody in the class know if you want to have this as a resource that you can look at all the time, here it is on Udemy and Skillshare. Uh, so that has been great. And even when I go to networking meetings, I have a paper. I don't just hand out my business card at networking meetings and events. 
I also have a sheet of paper I've made of all the different things that I'm doing in my studio that I think people would be interested in. On that sheet is if you want to do online learning, here are some resources for you with my different courses. I have my different offerings, whatever I'm doing in town locally too. But I have a sheet that I give out at any local networking group that I'm going to or an event I'm going to. Uh, If I'm doing in September, let's say, I'm going to be doing First Friday and be the, the featured artist at a pet boutique on one evening in September. And I will have that paper there that says all the things happening, but I also will be having a drawing. And so people, as they come into this First Friday and shop around the pet boutique, I'll say, hey, why don't you fill out this form with your name and email and you could win my most recent course. You could win a chance to take that course for free. And so then I can gather more emails and then once they're on my list, they can find about future courses as well. So there's so much that goes into the marketing after you've posted and put that out into the world. I think that's great. And I love that you're, you're taking the incentive to give them away free at a, an event, a drawing. I think that's a fantastic way to market, especially if you're going to a big event. I know a lot of, at a lot of big events, you have people drop their card to win a chance to, to get a free something or another. And that's pretty common. But having it specifically for an online course is not something you see a whole lot. And I think that's pretty creative. Yeah. And I kind of did that a little bit out of necessity because historically I've given away a photo session and that's pretty expensive for me to do. And I may not be seeing my target audience if it's like a huge pet expo in town, something like that. So being able to give out something like this where people, it's still valuable, but it's less for me out of my pocket. And I still can gather names for my email list to let them know ongoing what's happening in my studio. Yeah, so giving those away at different events has been really helpful. One of the things I did too, which can be controversial, (laughs) is when I first launched that cell phone class, I thought it would be really helpful to people who volunteer their time at animal rescues uh, because they had told me a lot of people are using their cell phones. So I offered to them for free in that group for like, a month or I did like the first 20 people who took me up on it and I gave them a specific code for that particular organization that I work with and in the hopes that they would give me some reviews because reviews count on those learning sites. People want to see that other people have taken that course and enjoyed it or whatever their feedback is. Uh, So I did give out a portion of those right off the bat to people on my list or in that particular organization. Uh, so to gain a little traction and get some feedback on it. Well, that sounds like a great idea. I love the idea of doing it, especially for nonprofits. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. So are you planning to make another course yourself? I am planning it on my list. My 2019 list was to create three courses. That cell phone photography one was the first one. And I've thought a lot about what to make my next course on thinking of what I've learned from my past ones. And so I do have a course that I'm crafting now. I have what I've done for the video portion of this one so I can get everything done in one step and again, have that lighting consistent, the audio consistent, is I have booked a local studio with someone who has agreed to just give me the file so she doesn't have to do any of the editing for me. And she's like, that's great. (laughs) So to have a date set. I've set that date. It's about a month from now. So I, I've set a date in a, in a studio. So I know that tech piece is there and ready. Even though I can record it myself, I don't have a good space for that. So this one I am outlining and I'm getting feedback from other people. One of the things I'm a little concerned about is that I'm cramming too much into this one again. So I'm considering making it into two courses. That's something because of learning from my very first cat photography course, ooh, there can be too much in a course unless you're saying this is a masterclass and it's going to take you a while and bill it as that. Uh, So I do have this next course that I'm crafting now. I've decided to utilize her teleprompter. So that will make my time in the studio more efficient. I have a format for each segment. There'll be 10 pieces to this. 
So I have a format that I'm going to follow for each segment. This time, I know that I need to create a teaser video or uh, this is what this video is about because on most of those platforms, that's a free piece. Or uh, there's the free, the first module is free or the first 10 minutes or something are free. So I know that now going into it to record those pieces for sure. Um, and a piece to have at the end. Thanks for watching the course. Here's where you can give me feedback, things like that. Uh, so I do have another course that I'm working on. One of the struggles that I'm having, Diana, is how do you do that market research to find out, is this a course that some people will want? I've gotten feedback from a lot of people because I've been doing some research the last few months, like, yes, that would be good. That would be needed from the different audiences I think would like it. But at some point, I have to just create it. But what I've done differently on this to kind of try to answer that question, do people want this information, is with my YouTube channel, now that I've been posting weekly videos all year, and I think last count I've made about 33 videos, is looking at the analytics on those. And I've been putting those in my newsletters and telling people locally is I put out a video on YouTube saying, and this will be the 10 ways to raise funds. So I put a video out there just listing those 10 ways in a very short format and saying, hey, I'm going to be making 10 short videos, which will go into just a small bit of each of those modules. And those, about three or four of those will come out before I launch the course. And then once the course is launched, I'll make more. So there'll be all this free short content to drive people to the course before I even release the course. So I've learned that from you and from some of the other research that I've done. Try to get some information before you're finished with the course because there might be pieces, number one, that I've forgotten to put in there. And number two, build up. Like in Hollywood, they put out a teaser video. This is the movie that's coming out next summer. Make sure you mark it on your calendar or whatever it is. You could do that with your courses. Get people excited for this upcoming course. Give them some little nuggets that they can say, oh, that's interesting. I want to know more. That's helpful. I want to know more. Uh, what else does she have to say? I can't come up with two things. What, how does she come up with 10 things? And how do I implement that for my cause or my studio? For the marketing piece of that, I've put a lot more effort into the pre-marketing and thinking about what the post-marketing will be for my next course. That sounds really great. And pre-marketing is a really, really big deal. There's so much you can do with that. I've done videos on that, that 30-day challenges, you can do workshops, you can do even coincide if you're doing a speaking event or if some other event is going on, try to back those up together. Also, one of my new favorite things to do is be on podcasts. Find podcasts that would be interested in your market, in your course, and reach out to those people and say, hey, you know, I'd like to be on your podcast. You could do that pre and you can do that after. One of the things you can also do is try pre-selling your course. Go ahead and put it up. I know Thinkific has a great pre-sale page for that where you go on and you put up your course and you go ahead and sell it and have so many people buy. And if you don't reach that particular level, then in that case, you could totally scrap it and do a total refund. That way you're not building the entire thing up beforehand. Go ahead and try pre-selling it at a discounted rate. And then once it goes live, then it takes it off that discounted rate. Ooh, I didn't know that about Thinkific. I don't think that's a possibility on the other platforms I'm on. So I will definitely have to look into that. A lot of people do that to verify. I think you can use other platforms. I know Thinkific has a specific page for it, but a lot of other people do do pre-selling in other ways. They may have a sales page up where they have PayPal process it or Gumroad, but Thinkific actually has it built into their software. So then after the pre-sale, once you see that you've got so many people into it, you can go ahead and be building that course behind the scenes and you just click live and mm. there it is. And all those people are already in there because they prepaid. Ooh, I'll definitely look into that. And you remind me, I listen to so many podcasts and I have a podcast of my own, 
but I never think about being on other people's podcasts, as funny as that sounds. So I should really look into that. There are some specific podcasts that I can think of that might, might be interested in it. Yeah. And because with podcasts, as you know, being a podcaster, because with podcasts, sometimes it takes like three to six months before you can actually go from reaching out to them to being on air because they plan them so much in advance. So if you're planning on launching a course, say in October, now would be the time to be reaching out to them, if not a little sooner, because they need to figure out how they can get you in their schedule after they approve you. Good point. I'm writing that down right now, Diana, <laughs> podcast, because that's probably about the time frame. It'll be a few months before this next course is actually out there and ready for people to learn. Yeah, and that's, that's a great way, especially it, with you being a photographer, if you're listening to photography podcasts, if you find one that you can get on, that would be a great idea because those people are on there wanting to learn about photography. So you're serving them. And guest blogging is another one. That's mm. been popular for a long time. Go and do guest blogging for blogs that are in the same niche as you. I'm writing that one down too. Because I've done that in the past, but I forgot that I could still do that. That's a good point. You just got to kind of figure out what you want to try. Go ahead and pick it and say, okay, I liked it. I didn't like it. I'm going to throw it out, you know. That's a super good point. We've touched on this a little bit, but the advice I give to somebody considering making a course is just what you said. It's just as simple as that. Just try it. Pick a course, pick a topic, pick a time frame, put your feelers out there. Ask everybody you know, what do you think? Would you want to learn from this course? Look at the stats. Some of these sites will say, we need more courses on this. Uh, so I've looked into that a little bit. So do a little bit of research, but don't get stuck in the research phase. Say, no, I'm going to film on this date. And don't try not to get overwhelmed with the tech side. Again, you can have a friend. You can use a nice phone, put it on a stand, get a microphone, good to go. Think of yourself as just that teacher sitting in front of the whiteboard in the front of the classroom. It doesn't have to be super blingy. Just create one, pick a site to put it on, and then once it's out there, tell everybody you know. <laughs> and then you have all this data for the next one. Try not to get discouraged by the results, the, especially the immediate results from your very first course. Pick a topic, pick a date, record it, get some help if you can. Hire someone like Diana or hire someone locally to do the video piece, whatever piece you're feeling overwhelmed with. See what you can do to get help with that and put it out there. Just see what happens. There's a lot of times when people are just starting out, they can't afford a full on course creator like My Big Packages. So maybe they'll just hire for what they need, like a video editor. But there are also people that can just do consulting. You can hire them by the hour. If you get stuck at a particular place, you want to DIY it. You do the whole thing yourself, and that will get you more out of your stuck position without you having to hire the full-on package for services. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe don't assume that people you know that are doing services, you know everything they do chat with them a little bit because someone like you, although that's your main part is to do the whole course for you, you're still happy to do that one-on-one. -on -one. So you might find somebody that you think, oh gosh, these people do these huge videos. Well, no, they might be interested in doing your course video too. You don't know until you go out and ask and see what they have to offer. So for people that are wanting to learn more about you and the courses that you made, where can they find you online? I am on all the things. I do, of course, have a website, silverpawstudio.com. On that website, you can sign up for my Pack Bulletin newsletter. Once a week, you'll get photographer files. I always list my courses in there, other things that are happening in my studio, stories, podcast information, or maybe some how-tos in there. So my Pack Bulletin newsletter is a great place to keep on top of everything. My YouTube channel is Silverpaw Studio. I think it's... It, that's not the exact title. YouTube chose like Fort Collins Silverpaw Studio. But if you search for Silverpaw Studio, you will find me on YouTube. I am pretty much the only pet photographer on YouTube posting regularly. And there's all kinds of resources on there. 
And in those descriptions, I have links to my courses. My courses can be found at this point on Skillshare and Udemy. There is the Cell Phone Photography for Pet Lovers course. And then there's the Cat Photography 101. And the one that will be coming out later this fall. And hopefully one more, one more course this year. Email would be monique at silverpawstudio.com. Fantastic. Well, I will say it was a pleasure talking with you today, Monique. And I learned so much when I was helping you with your course. I learned so much. And that's why I love to do the courses. I love to edit the courses because I learned so much just editing your course. And I can't imagine with all the extras how much people will learn in your courses. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on your show, Diana. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Monique Renee from Silver Paul Studio. All the links are down below in the description. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.